following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. walking down the gritty, dirty streets of Tel Aviv, just recently visiting Israel. And then I was walking in the dusty, dirty street of Magdala. I was walking in the dirty, dusty, sectarian-filled violence of Bethlehem. And then I was walking in Jerusalem walking down the corridors of the old city 
seeing all of the all of the filth the business the action everybody pushing and shoving and talking and shouting and crying out vending their wares and tears began to flow down my face as I stood on the Mount of Olives and recognized that Jesus could not have done one thing in those dirty, dusty streets if he had not had the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember it happened as he was baptized by John? As he came up out of the water, the the Holy Spirit fell on him like a dove. God the Father said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Had Jesus not been walking in the fullness of the Spirit, he said, I can do nothing that the Father has not told me to do. It was the Holy Spirit who enabled him to do the work he did. Yes, he was fully divine, he was fully God. But he would not use his divinity. He had to depend utterly, totally, and completely on the Holy Spirit for power. And so when he spoke, the demons fled, the sick were healed, the dead were raised. But for me, even much more important than that, when he spoke to Andrew and Peter and James and John, Nathaniel, when he spoke to the crowds, they were cut to the heart, and men and women repented and they turned from their sin. It's time to refocus the National Prayer Chapel. It's time once more to begin seeing and understanding that if God does not build the house, it cannot be built. Oh, it can be built in the flesh. It can be built as a political party. It can be built as an entertainment center. It can be built as a comfortable, sentimental home. But it cannot be built with power over sin. It cannot be built with power to redeem the lost without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And I come to you today freely, honestly, humbly confessing I can do nothing without Jesus. This broadcast will be empty and devoid of life if Jesus does not quicken it by the Holy Spirit in your heart and turn you to repentance. I have no power of my own. It is either the Holy Spirit or bust. 
There is no other option. Oh, I can come and teach you interesting vignettes from Scripture. I can come and teach you insight hermeneutically into the passages of Scripture. But they'll have no power to convict and change your life unless the Holy Spirit comes with great might and power. And so let's pray. Mighty God of heaven, I am asking now for your Holy Spirit to come in power in this broadcast and touch and move and change the hearts of those who listen. I ask that you would come and bring conviction of sin or encouragement if they are walking clean with you. Lord, I'm asking that you would have mercy today upon your people. I'm asking, Lord, that you would come with mighty power. I'm asking, Lord, that you would send forth your Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm asking, would you open the way? Would you open the way for a change in our nation? I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm Ray Greenley. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I want more than anything else for you to make progress toward the kingdom of heaven and enter fully into it. Now, we have traditionally been taught that that is a step-by-step slow process It is growing out of sin. I want to tell you today, no one has ever grown out of sin. There's only one way you can leave sin, and that's by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is when you renounce your sin and turn wholeheartedly to Jesus, when you go to the very bottom of the wickedness that consumes your heart, and you say, Okay, Lord. I'm done. Cleanse me, wash me, make me new. That doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit. I want to share with you a story we're familiar with, but we need to go back and really look at it very, very carefully. The apostles, along with others, 120 of them they all meet together on the day of Pentecost and days before that 10 days prior to that now the day of Pentecost is literally the feast of fruits it's the days after the feast of Passover it is referred to by the Jews as the celebration of the law being given at Mount Sinai. This was the day that Jesus chose 
to send forth the fullness of his Holy Spirit because now there was going to be an incredible transition from law to Holy Spirit. We'll deal more with that a little later in the broadcast. But when the day was fully come in Acts, the second chapter, they were all together of one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, ghost meaning in the Old English, Holy Guest. And they began to speak with other tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now please understand, these were men and women who had totally sold out to Jesus Christ. These were men and women who had completely left their life of sin. They were not unclean before God. They were redeemed. They were washed in the blood. They were forgiven for their sins. There was no darkness in them. They were utterly sold out. Now, this is vital for you to understand because I hear some people saying, I am revived because I've been transformed by the blood of Jesus. And they are correct. They have been revived. They have been washed. They have been made clean. That does not mean that they have received any power for witness to save the lost. Please hear me as I say this. There is a necessary returning to the fundamentals of Scripture. I take this King James Version that I'm reading from I take it literally. It is not fanciful. It is not fantasia. It is not a romance novel. It is the truth. It is what I stand upon. Now, I can be judged by many. I can be criticized by many. It does not matter, because if we're standing on the plain word of the living God as found in the scriptures then we know Jesus Christ for he is the truth Jesus becomes everything for us and we walk not according to the law but according to the Holy Spirit so I can't tell you how many times I have met together with churches who begin to pray for the Holy Spirit. I pastored a congregation in Rockville, Maryland many years ago, a large congregation. And we set aside a week to have fasting and prayer, believing fully for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He did not come. For many years I was very concerned what happened. Is the coming of the Holy Spirit simply a hoax? Is it voodoo? 
Is it something that crazy people seek after and do? No. I'll tell you why the Holy Spirit did not come those many years ago as we fasted and prayed all night, day after day, waiting upon Jesus for the Holy Spirit, and he did not send him. Why? Because we were walking in sin and uncleanness before God. As a church, I did not understand the preaching of repentance and righteousness. I did not know that a man or a woman could turn from their sin and have the power of it broken by the blood of Jesus. I thought we had to grow into salvation. I thought we had to grow incrementally into freedom from sin. I'd never been taught. You can be delivered today. The question is, will you repent? I'd not been taught that, and the Holy Spirit would not come and enter a church where there was bitterness and anger and judgment. He would not come and visit a church where there was infidelity in marriages. He would not come to a place and to a people, even though they were crying out for the Holy Spirit, he would not come because he's not the happy spirit. He's not the woo-woo spirit. He's not the, look, we've got the Holy Spirit, we're the greatest. He's not an ego spirit. He is a Holy Spirit. And so it deeply grieves my heart when I hear people who have paid the price to walk humbly before God, be revived by the Spirit, leave their sin, and not then also understand that they must be empowered by the Holy Spirit in a separate work of grace to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I've read the writings of John Wesley, he's very clear that no pastor should be ordained to the ministry who does not have the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As I read men like Dwight L. Moody, he's very clear. Frankly, one night there was a guest preacher that showed up at his evening service, and Dwight L. Moody was exhausted. He was tired. He saw this friend enter the church. He immediately sent and had him come back where they were meeting for prayer, and he said to him, would you preach tonight? And the man said, yes, I'll preach for you. And so this man got on the platform and he began to preach the gospel. But very soon, Dwight L. Moody stood up and tapped him on the shoulder and he said, brother, you don't have any unction of the Holy Spirit. Sit down, I'll finish. And Dwight L. Moody preached a powerful sermon under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the place fell in tears and repentance before God. Now may I be very plain with you. We at the National Prayer Chapel are setting ourselves on a course for revival in America. 
for revival in America. America has become utterly wicked before God. Every unclean thing is praised and worshipped. Fights, disagreements, hostilities. It's all a part of the church today in America. Politics. Every unclean thing has from the world flooded into the church, including the music and much of the service is foolishness. It's not somber or sober. It's not seeking after righteousness. It's not about repentance and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we at the prayer chapel are deeply grieved by this. And we agreed yesterday that we are going to seek the Holy Spirit. We are going to, in every way possible, deal with all sin in our lives. Some of us have already done that. Everyone is committed to totally walking free in Jesus. We are going to focus now in this broadcast on repentance and getting clean with God and crying for the Holy Spirit to come and revive America. Now, what is what is revival? How would we define revival? For me, revival means the Holy Spirit comes to a church and cleanses from all known sin now. Revival is heart purity. Revival is being entirely sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit. Revival is when the Holy Spirit comes to a people and he turns their hearts in great conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in full obedience to Jesus. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. It is abandoning myself utterly and completely to the work of the Holy Spirit so that there is no area of my life withheld from the living God of heaven. Revival, in simplest terms, is being converted. <laughs> Simply being converted. And not dealing with our sin by trying to grow out of it, but by going to the very bottom of the issue and confessing fully our condition before God and allowing the blood of Jesus Christ to completely cleanse us 
from all uncleanness. This for me, as I understand Scripture, is what we call revival. Now, revival is not a a word found in the Scripture. In the Scripture, it's times of refreshing. It's keeping a very short list with God. It's being sensitive and immediately repenting. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost power, that brings this to pass. In Acts, the second chapter, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire. It sat upon each of them, men and women, boys and girls. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And all were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. It was noised about, and the multitude came together, and they were confounded, because every man heard them speak in his own language. And this language was of the Medes and the Persians. It was the dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia. Everyone could hear the gospel in their own language. And some people scorned it and said, These men are full of new wine. They're drunk. But Peter stood up, and he lifted up his voice, and he said unto them, Ye men of Judah, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. And on my servants, on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now let's be clear. He is quoting the prophet Joel for the last days, but he's applying it to the end of the law age. But it's the beginning of the gospel age, to the new covenant age. But today we are in the last days. Jesus is coming again. Lift up the trumpet, loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. Now, in this last day, this prophecy is that God is going to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. In other words, at the end of the age there's going to come a time when the Holy Spirit comes with immense power. If he does not come, the work of the gospel will not be accomplished. There's a church on every street corner, but there is no power of the Holy Spirit to change our culture. 
If Christians were to rise up against abortion, abortion would be ended in America. If Christians were to arise for the basic, fundamental, moral values of the Christian faith, our nation would be transformed overnight. But those who call themselves Christians are participating in all that is of darkness. It's a time for repentance and turning and seeking the Holy Spirit. And the first thing the Holy Spirit will begin to do in your life is not anoint you with power. He will arrest you. Yes, I mean that. He will arrest you. He will handcuff you. And he will take you into the courtroom of God. And there you will be judged and condemned for your wickedness and your sin. And then Jesus will be offered to you. And if you choose to accept the shed blood of Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. That is, aphemy, they will be removed from you. It's not as though you white-knuckle it for a year or two years and then suddenly fall back into your sin and renounce Jesus and go back to your wickedness. A person who does that has never been truly converted. They have never truly walked in Jesus Christ. Even though it is possible to walk with Jesus Christ and then to turn from him as did Judas and did Demas with the Apostle Paul who loved the world and left the Apostle Paul alone. There are instances and there are scriptures that deal with God being rejected and the things of the flesh being rebuilt. But as a general rule, when a man is converted, he no longer loves the things of darkness. He is washed of his sin. He is formed into a new creature in Christ Jesus. He's not the same old person anymore. He is changed if you're continually going back and repenting and sinning and repenting and sinning, you have not truly been converted. You are still walking in the darkness. And if you're walking in the darkness, you don't know Jesus yet. Please let me try to say this in a way that would be very kind but very honest if you continue to repent and sin and then go back to it and do it again you are in very serious trouble with God you have a form of godliness but you have no power when you look at First John, the third chapter, Beloved, verse 2, Now we, the sons of God, we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
You're not going to be changed on the great judgment day. You're going to see Jesus either and be like him or be unlike him. Now every man that hath this hope in himself purifies himself even as he is pure. Whoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. It is lawlessness. And and you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. In other words, Jesus came to take away this sin. Verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not, righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. This is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, verse 14, We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So let me walk this through for you, please. When the Holy Spirit begins to create a hunger in your heart, begins to cause you to be convicted for your sin, that is the Holy Spirit arresting you. And he leads you into the courtroom of God, and unless you're willing to look at the depth of that sin and that wickedness in your heart, and recognize that you are before the judgment bar of God, and that you must repent and receive Jesus Christ and his shed blood, you cannot be made clean and you cannot be saved. Now, this is, this is frankly terrifying. It's terrifying. Because in the church, in the modern American church, we've taught that a man can go on walking in wickedness, and he's saved. Or that sin is grown out of. You know, like a child that has asthma, and the doctor says, don't worry about it. As he grows up, he'll grow out of his asthma. But an adult who has an asthma attack with adult asthma, the doctor will say, you can't grow out of that. You're going to have to just deal with that the rest of your life and make sure you prevent asthma attacks or you will die. Well, we cannot grow out of our sin. We cannot grow out of our sin. The sin is going to have to be dealt with by Almighty God. 
we're going to have to allow him to take us into his courtroom and face the reality of the wickedness of our own heart. Now, when I think of this, I think of a passage of Scripture in the book of Galatians. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, please, just for clarity, let me stop here. The National Prayer Chapel and Pilgrim's Progress in all that we do will focus first on conversion. Asking the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin into your life. Asking the Holy Spirit to come in power and bring revival to our nation. The coming of the Holy Spirit is not the same as conversion. Conversion takes place when I am brought into the courtroom of God, arrested by the Holy Spirit, convicted by the Holy Spirit, until I see the need of the blood of Jesus Christ to wash and make me clean. When that has happened, and I am washed and made clean, I am now prepared for the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit. I already have the Holy Spirit power to live clean before God. Now it's not about me. It's the power of ministry to others. The National Prayer Chapel needs to be a birthing place for sinners who want to get clean with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to just be inviting you to come to the National Prayer Chapel anymore. But rather, I'm going to say to you, if you recognize sin in your life and you are sick and tired of it and you need to get to Jesus and get healing and you need people to pray for you, you need to confess and get clean, then come to the prayer chapel and that will happen for you. It is not a place for casual Christians. It is a place for sinners. It's a place for sinners who want to be set free. This broadcast is not for casual consumption. It'll give you indigestion. This broadcast is for men and women who want to look honestly at their life and deal with the sin of their life that has prevented the Holy Spirit from coming in power enabling them to do the work of the gospel. Now let me read for you Galatians, the fifth chapter. I'll begin with verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, the flesh, 
Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I've seen that happen. And it breaks my heart. I've seen it happen between husbands and wives. I've seen it happen in churches. I've seen churches decimated by biting, devouring. So verse 16, So I say, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Now I want to be very clear about what the Apostle Paul, in speaking to the Galatians, considered the major headline sins to be. Now, there are many subtitles under this, but let's just talk about the major sin, sexual immorality. In other words, fornication, adultery. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Then he lists impurity. What is impurity? It is a whole mindset with cursing, with dirty jokes, with lust for things in the world. May I be so bold? It is even lusting after the professional sports. It is of the world. It is impure for you. Everything of the flesh, everything of the world is of darkness. It is impure. Debauchery. Debauchery can mean taking something that is good to an extreme so that now it is not recreation, it does not build us up, it tears us down because it's captured every part of our interest. For some it can be bicycling, motorcycling, canoeing, kayaking, all wonderful activities. But if they become the consuming passion of our life, it is called in Scripture debauchery. Why? Because it has become the idolatry of our heart. And that's why the next item on his list is idolatry. Idolatry is putting in the place of Jesus Christ a wife, a husband, a job, a hobby, a sport. Idolatry is putting money first. 
it is putting anything down in my heart as more important than my love for Jesus Christ and my love for my brother and my sister. And then he lists witchcraft. Witchcraft. What is witchcraft? Witchcraft is the practice of occultism, trying to force the spiritual realm to produce what I desire for it to produce. Witchcraft can be positive affirmations. It can be anything that I try to do to manipulate the spirit realm without going to Jesus Christ and submitting to whatever Jesus Christ wants to give me. Witchcraft can also be making curses against people. I know of people who fast and pray to curse another person, to bring bodily or emotional harm to another person. That's witchcraft. Speaking words of condemnation and judgment against another person. That's witchcraft. That's why he lists hatred next. Hatred can mean simply being utterly indifferent to the needs of another. It's also a, an angry passion of my heart that rises up and judges another. Then he lists discord where I simply cut off someone. And I must confess that in my early years, if someone disagreed with me, I most generally simply cut them off and didn't listen to them anymore. I don't do that anymore. I don't want to cut anyone off, even those who rail against me. I don't want to cut people off. I want them to come into the fullness of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Then comes jealousy. Ownership of another person. Ownership of a place or position. And when someone else seems to take my place, jealousy rises up in the human heart. And with jealousy comes fits of rage, angry denunciations. And then comes selfish ambition. That's, after all, at the root of everything where I want for myself what I want. And then one that will make us uncomfortable. Dissensions. I demand that another person be what I want them to be. And when they are not what I want them to be, I dissent from them. There's no moral value attached except it's a sin to walk in dissension over things that are not sin. Dissension is fighting and biting, bitterness. Then factions... The church has been full of factions through the years. One person says there is a secret, hidden, 
rapture. And others say there is no secret rapture. We're going to all go through to the very end. You know, I'm not willing to get in that argument because I don't know the answer yet. Oh, I think I know the answer. I think I know what I understand the scriptures to say. And I could argue that very strongly. I'm not one who believes in a secret rapture. But I don't fight with people who believe that because I haven't been there yet. And frankly, if there's a secret rapture, we're going to enjoy laughing and talking with one another as we are taken up into the heavens. As they say to me, see, Ray, I told you we would be taken out and I'll rejoice with them and say, I'm so pleased that there was a secret rapture. But if there is no secret rapture, if there is no secret rapture, then I'm going to have to comfort my brother who is heartbroken because of the pain and the anguish of going through all the way. And then envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like. How often I have seen men who turn away from Jesus Christ go get lost in their sexual immorality, trying to comfort themselves with some sexual orgy. There's such wickedness today in our land. Some people comfort themselves with Xanax, prescription drugs, alcohol. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you may be arrested by the Holy Spirit on one of these or many of these things I've just spoken of, and you're brought into the the throne of God. And you say, I know this is wrong, but I can't overcome it. That's when you have to cast yourself fully upon Jesus Renounce that sin and ask that the blood of Jesus would come and cleanse you and he will supernaturally come and he will instantly deliver you from this sin. Now we're almost out of time for today. We're going to continue tomorrow. I want to simply say to you, would you pray for the National Prayer Chapel and would you pray for me as we refocus our energy on revival in America and as we pray and cry out to God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I also ask that you would step in financially and help us through this transition time with your gifts, with your tithes. If this broadcast blesses you and you don't have any money, $10 would make all the difference if enough people gave those $10. Some of you can give a hundred, a thousand, five thousand. Whatever you can give, would you give to help us through this time of transition at the National Prayer Chapel? Now, 
You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage and donate online. You'll also find this podcast and many other broadcasts that will help you on your journey. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. Just click on the donate button and you can go to PayPal. nationalprayerchapel.com. Now let's pray. Almighty God, as I've shared this message, I ask that you would bring deep conviction, arresting those who are still playing with sin, calling them into the throne room, and I plead today your mercy upon their lives. I ask Jesus that you would come in power and deliver them. I know you will. I pray, Lord, that those who need to come to the prayer chapel to deal with the sin of their heart, that they will be convicted and will quickly come. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. This is Pilgrim's Progress. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.